I'm glad that you are here as we continue our series called Win the Day. And this is based on biblical principles found in this book by Mark Batterson uh, by the same name, Win the Day. And we've been through two of the seven habits that will help us stress less and accomplish more. The first two were flip the script and kiss the wave. And today, as you know, we're going to be talking about eat the frog. And uh, I think you'll understand it more when we get there. Now, there was a guy named Bob Speakup. Some of you may remember him if you're a little older uh, like me. But uh, he was a sophomore at Marple Newton High School when he was first introduced to the math induction theory. His teacher, Mr. Dabransky, likened the theory to the domino effect. So this got old Bob so excited that after school, he went out and he bought him two boxes of dominoes. And he set those dominoes up. Have y'all ever done this? Y'all ever played with dominoes? Set them up? Um, I, I couldn't set these up before I walked out because uh, they'd all topple over. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but he went home and he bought him two boxes of these things and he set up 112 dominoes and he pushed it over. Oh yeah, it worked. You know exactly what's going to happen. That's called the domino effect. And after graduating high school, Bob went on to bigger and better things. He ended up going on the Johnny Carson, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And he showed off his domino toppling skills, right? The Guinness Book of World Records created a category to recognize his accomplishments back in 1976. Who in here was alive in 1976? Okay. There's a few of you. Uh, Bob set the first world record in domino toppling when he set off a chain reaction numbering 11,111 dominoes. Now that was the first world record. Over the next decade, he would break his own world record five times, topping out at 97,500 dominoes. I don't know how long it took for all of them to finish going down, but that amazing, crazy. Now, around the same time that Bob Spiegel was setting world records, there was a physicist named Lorne Whitehead, and he was doing these uh, experiments with domino chain reaction. And what he discovered was that a domino is capable of knocking over another domino that is one and a half times its size. So a two-inch domino could topple a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino could topple a four-and-a-half-inch domino. And you just can keep going. So by the time you get to the 18th domino, you could, in theory, topple the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Of course it's leaning, so that might not be so fair. But... The 21st domino, in theory, could topple something as big as the Washington Monument. And the 23rd domino could knock over the Eiffel Tower. I mean, that's sort of crazy kind of stuff. Now think back to that math induction theory. Instead of a fancy formula, 
Let, let's think of a wor real world example. According to the theory, you can climb as high as you like on a ladder by starting with the bottom rung and then climbing the ladder one rung at a time. And the theory is relatively new, but the idea goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Any of y'all remember the Tower of Babel? In Genesis chapter 11, man began to think, oh, you know, we don't need God. We can do things. We can do anything we want. We're going to build this tower and show everybody that we're just as capable of doing anything as God. And in Genesis 11, 6, God said nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And that's why God scattered mankind. Now, let me say it another way. Almost anyone can accomplish almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. And the key is what Mark Batterson calls domino habits. Little habits that are, in his words, high leverage habits. And here's what we can know for sure, and this is the big idea for today. If you do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they're little things. And so that brings us to habit number three, eat the frog. What in the world, Tim? What does that mean? Mark Twain is purported to have said, if you ever have to eat a live frog, it's best done first thing in the morning. Well, why would that be? Because you can go through the rest of the day knowing that the hardest thing you had to do that day is behind you, right? <laughs> Eating a live frog, that would be sort of rough. In the Gospels, Jesus says something uh, about habit formation that's very interesting. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43, we read, When an impure spirit comes out of a person... It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And that is how it will be with this wicked generation. So here's a question. Why is the final condition of the person worse than it was in the beginning? Because they did not replace the impure spirit with the right spirit. They didn't cultivate the daily disciplines necessary to back up their deliverance. Now listen, friends, God can deliver you in a day. There's no doubt about it. But you and I have to cultivate those daily habits to back up that miracle so that we don't go back to the way it was. And we've seen it before. A person turns their life around, the Lord turns their life around, and they get on the right track, but they don't fill their life with the right thoughts with the right actions, with the right goals. And soon they find themselves in worse condition than they were in before they began. 
Now, according to a Duke University study, 45% of daily behavior is automatic. Think about that. Now, that's not bad unless those habits are bad. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Habits are the way we put things on repeat. It's just something we naturally do. Without the ability to automate, we'd have to relearn everything every single day. So God created us so that we could do these things. Now, developing godly habits is not just a good thing, it's a God thing. Habits save us tremendous time and energy, but that cost comes, or that savings comes at a cost. When something becomes second nature, you know that we don't often give it a second thought. Sometimes we're not even thinking about what we're doing. And that's when and where and why we need to deconstruct some old habits and reconstruct some new daily habits. And there's lots of ways to do this. We can study other people and see what they're doing and copy their habits. But leadership really starts with some self-leadership, and self-leadership starts with some daily habits. So you need to look within yourself. Identify those strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. We, we have to believe that God is able to help us reinvent ourselves, to reprogram our mind, to repurpose our heart, even reinvent our body if that's what we need. Now, this is not a self-help message. In fact, without God's help, we can't do any of this. This is actually more a stewardship issue. It's making the most of our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's our utmost for His highest. It's cultivating not only good habits, but God habits. And I wish I could say that I've always been a great example of this because I, I haven't. Uh, I struggle like everybody else struggles. I remember when I first started out in ministry. I was going to college and I got a part-time ministry at the Geneva Park Church of Christ where Jordan grew up. And um, I had never really had to be organized in my whole life, okay? Uh, I, I, I went to school, of course. I had to do my homework, do those things. I played football. I had to do things with that. But now I had to run a youth program. And um, I, I was having to schedule teachers, schedule things. And, and this youth program, it was from uh, little babies all the way up uh, through high school. So it was everybody, okay? I, I was having to plan events. I was having to, you know, do all the stuff. And I, I, I was a little overwhelmed. And it only took a few embarrassing mishaps to get the message. I had to get my act together. I, I enjoyed hanging out with the kids. I enjoyed doing Bible studies. But the other stuff, the planning, the tedious things, getting everything in order, that's like eating a frog, you know? I can't say that I'm the most organized person in the world today, but if you had known me then, and again, Jordan Clark's dad, Gary, he knew me then, I hope he would say, yeah, I think you're a little better than you were back then. But I'm hoping that we can all together decide 
to eat the frog. What I hope is we can sort of pick a habit in our life and see how we can rededicate it to God and allow God to change us through those habits. It could be a physical or relational or emotional or mental or financial or especially a spiritual habit. It could be doing your age in sit-ups. It could be having a daily quiet time, an appointment with God. It could be keeping a gratitude journal with a daily quota. It, it could be five minutes of meditating on the Word of God. It could be a daily Bible reading program. How do you eat the frog? Well, Mark Batterson suggests three things. We need to make it measurable, meaningful, and maintainable. So let's think about those three things and how we can change some of our habits. First of all, we need to make it measurable. Now, years ago, Christy and I were in campus ministry at ECU, Campus Christian Fellowship, and we went to a campus ministry retreat where we met a campus minister whose name was Roy Weiss. Now, this guy was amazing. He was such a godly man. I mean, I I felt like, uh, boy, I'm not even worthy to be in this guy's presence. He was the kind of guy who could just turn any and every conversation into a spiritual discussion that could lead a person to their giving their life to Christ. He told us about a time that he had a gas leak, and the gas company sent over this guy. The guy didn't even know what was going to happen, right? So the guy shows up at his house, and as he shows up, Roy is praying to God, God, keep away all distractions so that I have this guy all to myself, right? The repairman, as he's out there, he, he starts this conversation with him, and he started the conversation by saying, isn't it amazing how God has provided all these resources for us to use right here, Right, right, all these natural resources, everything we need for life, God has provided. From that beginning, two hours later, Roy Weiss was baptizing that man into Christ. Now, Christy and I were amazed at this, and one of the things that we were amazed at was how Roy memorized Scripture. He was going behind the Iron Curtain back when there was an Iron Curtain, and they didn't allow Bibles into the country. And he memorized the entire book of Colossians because that was going to be what he was speaking about. So that really challenged Christy and me. Now, we had never really done a lot of Bible memorization, and uh, so we, as we left there, we decided we're, we're going to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, Okay. Maybe a little daunting to us, but, you know, we felt like, look, he can do that, we can do this. Neither of us, again, had ever done a lot of this, although there, uh, at times I had been in some college theater and I had done some community theater, so I had to look, memorize lines for that. And that experience taught me that you can't just memorize it all in one sitting. I mean, you have to take off bite-sized portions. So Christy and I decided that we would do one section at a time and we would memorize that section together and go over it together each day. We would write it out on a card, 
put the card up on the mirror in the bathroom, and then we would each have a card that would go in our vehicles so that even as we're driving down the road, we can be thinking about this. And so we would do this every day, little by little, little by little, portion by portion. We memorized it until we could do the entire Sermon on the Mount by memory. I even dressed up in a Jesus outfit, whatever that is, you know, and went to some churches and presented it as a message. Christy could have done, well, she couldn't have been Jesus. That, that wouldn't have worked. But the measurable part was how much we would do each day. We would measure it out. Memorizing Scripture requires habitually going over the Scripture over and over again. And many things in life require the same thing. One way to do these uh, things, these habits, is adding some timelines and deadlines. When it comes to goal setting and habit building, deadlines are lifelines. So make it measurable. You can do it. Now, the second thing is make it meaningful. How do you make a habit meaningful? I think there's lots of ways to do this, but I think one way is to consider why do you feel you need to form this spiritual habit? And I think, for me, sometimes it has to do with those you may influence. When you think about how your habit changing can influence another person. Uh, it could be someone who is a friend. When I was in high school, I had a very close friend. Um, his name was Lee May. Now, Lee was more of an intellectual. I think he, well, I, I know that he did some other things that many intellectuals would do. And even people that aren't so smart do. Uh, the, uh, he, he smoked a little bit of uh, the, funny, the funny stuff. Um, but uh, he was an intellectual. Now, I didn't do that stuff with him. I played football and I ran track. But, you know, he didn't, we played tennis together. That's what we would do. Now, I don't know why Lee would hang around me, but th there was just something that drew me to him. Lee was not a Christian. In his intellectual pursuits, he had come to call himself an agnostic. He, he said, well, I can't prove there's not a God, and I can't prove there is a God, so I'm just going to play around here in the middle. And we would often have some spiritual discussions. His questions were often way over my pay grade, which means way over my head, because he's intellectual, I'm more... Not intellectual, let's just say it that way. <laughs> and one question he asked me, and it's it still, I hear it today. He, you know, he, he knew the Bible because he went to church with his family, but he said in the Bible when we read, let us make man in our image, who is the us? Now, I'm 17 years old. Nobody's ever asked me a question like that. I went to, I went to Sunday school Nobody in Sunday school ever answered that question. And I was thinking, I don't know. Now, the funny thing is, Lee wouldn't commit to the idea that there's a God, but he believed that must be aliens, which is sort of funny to me. You're willing to say it's aliens, but not God, right? So that's one reason I went to Bible college, was because I wanted to study and learn so that I could have some answers to tell my friend Lee. 
about Jesus. This is way before Google and the internet, by the way, okay? So one week, weekend while I'm visiting a relative up in Chesapeake, my mom had called and left a message for me. And the message was that Lee had been killed in a car wreck. A train had hit his car. And uh, I, I can't tell you how devastating. And it still is. I mean, 40 years later, I mean, I love the guy. But a large part of my desire to become a minister was my friend Lee. A few months after his death, I was looking back over my senior yearbook, and I noticed what Lee had written. I'd never really put any thought into it, but Lee had said, Tim, don't let anyone ever look down on your faith. I thought, wow, you know, something got through to him. I knew after reading those words that in some small way I had at least influenced my friend, planted seed. So something meaningful that says you got to change some habits, you got to be pursuing a goal, you have to be working towards something. And one of those things could be your friends. How about your children and grandchildren? How many here have children and gra or grandchildren? Anybody in here? Uh, those of us with children understand the great responsibility that comes with them. Two weeks ago, Alyssa celebrated, or we celebrated with her, her 28th birthday. And I shared a little bit on Facebook about the day that she was born. Uh, Christy and I still remember it, just like it was yesterday. Um, but I didn't write probably what is the most important thing that I remember. What I remember most was that when she was born, this sense within me that my life was never going to be the same. Those of you that have your own children, you know what I'm talking about. You know, up to that point, nobody really relied upon me. I mean, I was married to Christy, and you could say she relied upon me, but Christy's way smarter than I am. She can do whatever she needs to do. She can manage on her own. But now this little baby needs me. And it was a very sobering moment. And I realized that my spiritual habits have affected her. Did my children see my love for God? Did they see that God made the difference in my life? Because ultimately, you know, the only thing that really matters is not how good they were in sports, not how many A's they made in class, not how much money they make out in the vocational world, but the only thing that matters is do they know the love of God in their own life and have they chosen to follow Jesus? You see, I want to know my children for eternity. I don't want to know them just for today. And my spiritual habits will have an effect upon that. Friends, are your spiritual habits revealing your love for God to your children? We now have our first grandchild, McKenna. How many of your grandparents in here? Say, yay! Those grandchildren are awesome. Mine doesn't say much, and you, I can't even chase her down yet, you know. So um, we're going to have fun later on. But we just celebrated her first birthday in January. And I pray God will use me and Christy to reveal his love to her. I pray that her parents will 
instill that in her. Listen, habit formation isn't just about you. It's about the third and fourth generation. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about being a blessing. So, yes, we look to change our habits, and a meaningful reason for that is those that we influence. But sometimes the spiritual habit is about your own life or death. You recognize that unless you change something, you will continue to spiral down away from God. And we know that spiritual death means to be separated from God. And continuing to do things that separate us from God is suicidal. It is inflicting pain on ourselves. It's like throwing the life preserver back in the boat when we're drowning. And you may realize that if you continue the behavior you're involved in, you will not survive spiritually. My good friend Brian Gibbs would tell you that his addiction nearly killed him. He would tell you that if he had not changed, he would have lost his family, he would have lost his friends, and he probably would have lost his life. But when Brian truly gave his life to Christ, when Brian became addicted to Jesus rather than the other addictions in his life, God was able to change his habits. Not only did he change his habits, but the Lord saved his life. I once heard Bill Hybel say that uh, there are two reasons why we are willing to change. One is, life is so horrible that we're not willing to live another moment the way it is. And we make a decision that we're going to change. You could say we're tired of living the way that we're living. We're tired of suffering or the bad habits we have formed. And it's so bad that we're ready to change it. And this can motivate us to seek change. Now, I don't want this so badly is the way I think that I'm willing to do just about anything to change it. Now, the second reason is that there's some goal out there, something that I want to pursue so much that I've got to change in order to achieve it. It's a positive goal that we've set for ourselves. There's something, again, so good out there that we want it so badly that we're willing to do almost anything to get to that. So whatever the reason, it becomes the meaning behind the formation of a new positive habit. And that's how you make the habit meaningful. And I would like to suggest a meaningful habit that can be beneficial to you and your family. We have been reprogrammed over the last couple of years to think that the worst thing that can happen to us is to get covid And so many people have isolated themselves and stopped coming to church. Listen, I totally understand. And I'm not trying to judge anyone who has made those choices for health reasons. However, I do want to suggest something to you. If you're waiting for the coronavirus to disappear from the earth before you ever step foot back in church again, you will never come back to church again. And I'm sorry, friend, but that virus is here to stay. 
Now, I'm thinking maybe on Facebook Live, they're throwing up some fact checker thing right now as I'm speaking <laughs> across the screen. I don't care. But at some point, you have gotten into the habit of not attending church. Maybe you watch online, and I'm, I'm glad at least you do that. But friends, there is no better habit than to worship the Lord together. In fact, it was so important that the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Watching services online may be beneficial to us, but the question I have for you is, how are we benefiting the rest of the body of Christ when we are isolating ourselves away from them? Did you notice that in that text, the reason we should have the habit of worshiping together is so we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds? How can you encourage each other if you're not together? can't be done. So I want to encourage you to make worshiping together a spiritual habit for your own encouragement and for the encouragement of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a meaningful reason to develop that habit. Find your why and look at it every day and focus on it and move towards it. Make it meaningful, but also make it maintainable. Along with being measurable and meaningful, our habits have to be maintainable. It's okay to dream big, but we have to sort of start small. We, we don't despise the day of small beginnings. Mark Batterson suggests if you write two pages a day, you'll have a book in 100 days. You're capable of more than you imagine, but consistency beats intensity seven days a week and twice on Sundays. You have to do it for a day, and then you have to get up the next day and do it again. That's how every goal is accomplished. And the good news is, anybody can do anything for a day. Is it possible to take 15 to 30 minutes a day and read your Bible. Some of you could do an hour or more. But you have to set a time and keep at it. And if you do, it's maintainable. Can you set a time every day? Can you just sort of put in your calendar an appointment with God? Now listen, if you're going to have an appointment with your boss, you wouldn't miss that, would you? If your boss said, you know, we're going to talk about your salary. I need you to come in uh, tomorrow morning at uh, 8 o'clock. You'd be there at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. But don't you think God is even more important than that? God wants you to have some time to pray with Him. Are you telling me that you absolutely don't have 15 to 20 minutes every day where you can find a quiet place and pray? I don't believe it. And you know why I don't believe it? Because we do what we want to do. 
Every one of us. We do what we choose to do. Now, I'm not challenging you to do anything that is not maintainable. If you do it for a day, you can do it for two days, and then you can do it for a third day, and then you have a three-day winning streak. You are winning the day. So you have to make the habit measurable and meaningful and maintainable. Let me share real quick the last two techniques that Mark Batterson mentions in the book. These are habit switching and habit stacking, and they will help you eat the frog, as he said. Again, if you want God to do the super, you just have to do the natural. You don't break a bad habit by not doing it. Sure, that might work for a day or two or four, maybe even a week, but it's not a long-term solution. Spiritually speaking, you don't stop sinning by not sinning. Let me, let me, let me in a real simple way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to you. Whatever you do, don't think about the Jolly Green Giant. Don't think about the Jolly Green Giant. Stop thinking about the Jolly Green Giant. Now, I want to ask you, what is the image popping in your head right now? The Jolly Green Giant. And every time you're telling yourself, stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it, you're thinking about it. And you have to replace that thought with another thought. I wish eating the frog was as easy as just say no, but it's not. The solution is you need a bigger vision and a better vision than whatever that temptation is. The best way to break a bad habit is by building a good habit to replace the bad habit. Again, I know it's easier said than done and it takes time and effort, but you've got to reinvest yourself and your time and talent and treasure into a good habit, a God habit. In the 1970s, Dr. William Glasser wrote a, a book called Positive Addiction in which he said addiction is not all bad. Sure, negative addictions can destroy our lives, one drink, one click, one hit at a time, but positive addictions have the opposite effect. In a sense, all of us are addicts. The question is, are those addictions positive or are they negative? Are they healthy or are they unhealthy? Are they holy or are they unholy? And all of us could afford to complain a little less, right? Am I, am I right about that? We could. But don't you understand that you don't stop complaining by telling yourself to stop complaining. You've got to switch the habit. So let me suggest a simple thing. You, you have to flip the script. And one of the best ways to do that is a gratitude journal. We've mentioned this a few times. Uh, if you could... Turn someone who complains about anything into someone who is grateful for everything with that one little habit. Wouldn't that be worth it? Keeping a, a gratitude journal every single day. Write down one genuine gratitude per day. You've got to write it. And you've got to recite it. And sooner or later, it'll flip your script. Why? Because it begins to change your thoughts. 
You're not thinking about the negative things. You're thinking about the positive things. You aren't a complainer anymore. You're someone who is profoundly grateful for anything and everything in your life. Now, I used to play golf with this guy who would just cuss over. I mean, just almost the whole round, he, he's cussing. And I'm like, man, I don't want to hear that. Sometimes I'd be riding in the cart with him. He'd just cussing, cussing, cussing. He would drop bombs all over the course. Sometimes I hated riding with him because of the language. Then one day we're playing golf. We, we finished nine holes and it dawned on me. He's not said one single cuss word the whole time. I'm sort of in shock. We're about to go play the final nine holes. And I said to him, um, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be offensive to you, but I, I just want to commend you that the, the whole round so far, you've not said one single cuss word. I haven't heard one thing come out of your mouth the entire round that, that was, you know, crude or rude. And he said, well, you have inspired me. I was like, wow, man. I was very humbled to hear it. It made me feel really good. And then he said, I figured if someone could play as bad as you and not cuss. <laughs> now that story is not true, but it could be. Some of you have played golf with me. You know it, it could be. So the first key is the habit switching. And then the second key is habit stacking. Habit stacking is coupling our habits with daily rhythms, daily rituals. One simple way to do this is to turn certain times of day into alarms. And we've already sort of done this. Those, those of you that you know, are in school or your kids are in school, you, you think back to school. Can you remember what time the lunch bell rang? I mean, did you, did you sort of have that in your mental clock? What time the, the last bell of the day was going to be? How many of you set your timer on your coffee pot to have it brew at the same time every morning? This, this is why some churches ring their bells. We don't have a bell, but some do. Technically speaking, habit stacking or habit chaining is coupling different difficult habits with habits that come easy. The first thing I try to do when I get to my office in the morning, I'm coming to the office in the morning and and, and I want to have a daily quiet time with God. So every morning, that, that's habit stacking. I enter my office, turn on some quiet music, uh, maybe fix some hot chocolate because I don't like coffee, and I grab my Bible, a notebook, and I read my Bible from whatever point I stopped the day before, and I take notes, and I answer some questions each day, and then I I might pull out a commentary if there's something I'm not sure about. And, and I'll end my time by writing out my prayer to God and being sure to offer Him gratitude for all those things that He's done. Some mornings I'll read a book like Win the Day on biblical principles and think about what God is teaching me in it. This is important because one of the best things we can do for our day is to fill our minds with the thoughts of God. And you may sprinkle in some Christian music as well. You, you start your day off like that. Or you listen to a spiritual message on the way to work. And your heart will be ready for whatever comes. This is not a new thought. 
It's actually something God has encouraged. God wants to be the center of our attention. Deuteronomy 6, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The question, of course, is how how do we do that? How do we keep them in our heart? How do we put them into practice? Well, the next few verses tell us. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So God doesn't give commands. He couples them with some daily rituals like getting up, like sitting down, like walking. If you're trying to cultivate a prayer habit, one of the best ways to do it is first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Why? Because those rituals function as reminders. So here's the good news. Some of you are already habit stacking, and you aren't even aware of it. If you pray before a meal, you are habit stacking. If you hug your spouse on the way out to work, you are habit stacking. If you tell your children that you love them every day, you are habit stacking. And the trick is putting this into practice across the board. Can you do it for a day? Don't try to change 17 things at one time. That's not going to work. Focus on one or two habits and habit stack. And then you can pull off more. For better or for worse, You are the sum total of your habits. Bad habits always come back to bite us. But friends, good habits always come back to bless us. Either way, we cannot break the law of measures. It will make or break you. And ultimately, how you do anything is how you'll do everything. Ultimately, we can't do it in our own strength. God is showing up, and he's going to show off, and he's going to reveal to us things. The whole will be even greater than the sum of your habits because of the X factor. And the X factor is the Holy Spirit who will help us in that process to change. Friend, if you do the little things like they're big things, God will do those big things like they're little things. So eat the frog and win the day. Father, we come to you today thankful for your spirit who helps us develop the positive habits we need that will honor you, that will influence others, that will help to change our lives. May your spirit help us to cast aside those negative habits that hinder us and help us to replace those with the positive habits that will bless us. Lord, I also just want to lift up those who are going through a tough time. Maybe they've lost loved ones or they've been through some difficulty. And I especially want to pray for Margaret Cook's family today. Uh, She was buried yesterday. I also want to lift up Bobby Joe Grinder and her family as it appears that her dad may be near the end of his earthly life. Just bless them, Father. Pour your love upon them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.